going through the life of Elijah, and Pastor Trigg said took us through last week, 2 Kings chapter 1, and then we'll be wrapping up the life of Elijah tonight, and 2 Kings chapter 2, we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 14. So read with me now, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take, your, take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, the sons of the prophets, who were at Jericho, drew near to Elisha, and I said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan, to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to, Eli Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elijah said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water... The water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. May you give us eyes and ears to hear and see your truth this night. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So back September 21st, 2010, 
I was called to jury duty. We lived in Prosper at the time, and as most of you know, the um, court for Collin County is here in McKinney. And it was while I was there at that court that I noticed a particular statue that was in the foyer. And if you've ever been there, perhaps you've seen it. I understand it has since been removed and relocated to San Antonio. But the name of the statue was simply called The Line. And if you know the story, you know that um, William Travis, Colonel William Travis of the Alamo, famously drew a line in the sand. And he said, all that are with me, all that want to stay and fight, cross the line. And all but two came across. One was Jim Bowie, who was bedridden, and he couldn't get up to walk, so he had his men pick up his bed and carry him across. And there was one man who was a hired, um, uh, a hired military person who had come, and he is the only person that left in the middle of the night. And then we know the next morning, Santa Ana's army attacked and obliterated everyone. But it's the line that was drawn in the sand. And that's really what we have here with Elisha, is the line in the sand. And you may recall way back in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah was told that Elisha would be replacing him, that he would be the, per, the prophet that would continue on. And Elisha, Elijah went and threw his cloak over Elisha. And so he knew that he was going to be the next prophet. But yet we see here within our text a series of tests for Elisha. And really what the Lord is asking Elisha is, Elisha, are you on the Lord's side? We see this really in three different parts. We look at it and we see as Elisha continues onward in verses 1 through 8. And then we also see Elisha is taken upward in verses 9 through 12. And then we see Elisha's journey outward in the second half of 12 through the end of 14. So we have onward, upward, and outward. So look with me in verse 1 as we look at Elisha's, as Elisha continues onward. And it says here, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elisha and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And you may recall Gilgal and the corresponding cities that were here. So you have Gilgal and you have Bethel. And then you also um, have the city of um, Jericho. And they should ring a bell in your mind, as you may remember when the Israelites came into the land and Moses had given command over to Joshua. And what did Joshua do but part the Jordan River, come across on dry land, and they camped at Gilgal, before going and attacking the city of Jericho. And this is the very place that the Lord 
sovereignly brings them back to. It was a place of transition that we see. And the same way that Moses transitioned to Joshua, we see Elijah, Elijah transitioning to Elijah. And three times we see, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on, Elijah says and tells Elisha, to stay here. But he's persistent. And he says three times, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he was committed to staying with Elijah. Elisha was committed to staying with Elijah. And I'm probably going to get those two terms, <laughs> Elijah and Elisha, interchanged because they sound very similar. But we know that Elisha was committed to following Elijah. And you may remember way back in verse 19 when Elijah went to throw the cloak on Elisha, what was he doing? He was out farming with 12 oxen. But as soon as he, the Lord had called him, Elisha went and he sacrificed the 12 oxen. And there was no turning back. He had burned the boats in order to face the fight. And you may remember back in 1519, it was Hernando Cortez that came across, he was a Spanish conquistador, into the Americas. And in order to motivate his men, in order to fight and not to turn back home, he burned the ships so that they would stay and have a motivation for fighting and conquering the land. And in many ways, that's exactly what Elisha did, is he burned the ships, and there was no going back. He was committed to following the Lord. And just this week, we had the opportunity to meet with a missionary who is a missionary over in the Ivory Coast. And one of the things that struck me that she said was, you know, as she was preparing to go over to the Ivory Coast, she said, it suddenly got real when I had to sell all my possessions and I was headed towards a foreign land. And while most of us are not called to be missionaries in a foreign land, most of us are called to serve right where we're at. But I want to make sure that that's not an excuse that we have to become complacent, to become comfortable. That there's not things that we're holding back from the Lord, that we're still giving him everything that we have right where we are. That we are committed. We're not comfortable. We're not complacent with serving the Lord. But we are committed to serving the Lord. And that's what we see with Elisha is that he is committed. Similarly, we see, if you look with me, down at the end of verse 3, where they come, the prophets come out and they say, do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he says twice, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And as I reflect on his response, you think, okay, that's pretty abrupt. But just... This week, Megan and I were riding in the car. We were talking about all the different seniors in the youth group that are going to be moving on. 
And after a while, we both conceded. We said, you know what? Let's just don't talk about it, right? Let's don't focus on that right now. Let's just enjoy the time that we have together. And I think that's really what Elisha is talking about. He's like, I don't want to focus on that right now. You know, I, I want to be committed to what the Lord has in front of me. So we see here where Elisha continues onward. Now look with me as we focus on Elijah being taken upward. And it says in verse 9, When they had crossed, Elijah, Elijah asked to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And at first glance, you may think, wow, that's a pretty bold request. And that is kind of arrogant somewhat. Give me a double portion of what you have? But upon examination, it's actually something that is, shows deep humility from Elisha. And what he's really saying is, I want the rights of the firstborn. And it's a reference back to a servitude that he is willing to give up his life to serve the Lord. I'm not, I don't want to hold back. I want to be able to give the Lord all that I have, and I want to be able to um, preach to the people and finish the work, Elijah, that you have started. And so it's really an act of humility that we have from Elisha. But interestingly... What actually happened is, as you read, continue reading in 2 Kings, Elisha actually did do twice the number of miracles. There's 14 recorded miracles for Elisha compared to seven with Elijah. But there was also twice the amount of trials. Elijah suffered three and a half years of famine. Elisha suffered seven. So we have to be willing to count the cost. We, we want to use our talents for the Lord, even in the face of adversity. And so um, we want to make sure that we're counting the cost, that we know what is before us, and yet we go anyway and we serve the Lord because we know that it is much the blessings far outweigh the trials that we are going to undergo in this lifetime. And it is but a handbreadth that we suffer here on the earth compared to the glory that we have to anticipate forever with the Lord. And you may remember the old Garth Brooks song that was written some years ago that said the overall refrain was, I could have missed the pain, but I had to miss the dance. And as Christians, perhaps we can associate it with that. We could have missed the pain, but we would have had to miss the blessing. And know that God is going to equip his saints for the place that he calls you to. And this is really what Elisha is acknowledging here as he asks for a double portion. And then we go on and we see in, in verse 11, as they went on, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel 
and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. So once again, we see in the life of Elijah this fire coming down from heaven. We already saw at Mount Carmel the prophets of Baal um, when they were calling upon Baal to bring fire. And then Elijah called upon Yahweh and it licked up the water and all of the sacrifice and nothing remained. And even last week as Mark was taking us through chapter 1, we looked at the captain in the 50s that came and the Lord brought down fire and consumed them, obliterated them on the spot two times. Yet this time we see not a fire of a judgment, but a fire of grace, a fire of protection, a fire of peace coming to take Elijah home. We know that there's been two times Students, you may recall, way back in the book of Genesis, there was one other person who never died, and it was Enoch. And it says that Enoch walked with God. And here we have the second example throughout Scripture of Elijah being taken straight up into a whirlwind. And then later in verse 13, it says that the cloak had fallen from heaven. And I hope you can see the picture that it paints for us of our resurrected and risen Savior that went up and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit that descended upon the church at Pentecost. And interestingly here, we have this picture as Elisha um, sees with eyes of faith Elijah being taken up, and the cloak that has fallen. And then, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And this is actually repeated upon Elisha's death. When he's laying on his deathbed and King Joash repeats the exact same thing. You may also remember when Elisha was out and the Assyrians were coming to attack And they couldn't figure out how their plans continued to be thwarted. But yet, um, Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened. And the hills were alive with the chariots of fire and its horsemen. And so we see this predominant theme of God's protection for his people. And his provision for his people as he sends them out to what they have been called to do. And so we see here... Uh, that Elijah is taken upward. Look with me finally at Elisha's journey outward. Looking at the second half of verse 12, then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. So you get this picture of Elisha tearing his own clothes picking up the cloak of Elijah and putting it on. And you have this beautiful picture of the double imputation of Christ. And students, that's just a fancy word for saying the great exchange. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid for our sins, we were able to take off our filthy rags, filthy sinful rags, and take them off, tear them, Be done with them. 
and pick up the righteous robes of Jesus Christ and put them on so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our filth and our shame, but he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. We get this picture right here from the text as Elisha tears his clothes and he picks up the cloak and he puts it on, but he doesn't stay there. What happens? Verse 14, as he took the cloak that had fallen Then he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And really, should be telling us what what he's really asking is, you know, where where is, God, where are you? And the Lord's saying, I'm right here. I never left. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, change not. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And we can find comfort, and we can find security in the God who is the rock of our salvation that does not move. And we can go out confidently to what the Lord has called us to do. Wherever that may be, he will equip you and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Now, there's a number of different applications that we could look at for these verses, and we could potentially look, up, uh, look at God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You remember way back, in, uh, as we've been talking in 1 Kings 19, when Elisha was called, he said, this is going to be the man, but yet it was still... Elisha's responsibility to take the steps necessary to go through this transition at the Jordan, to die to himself and pursue the work of God. We could also talk about the fact that the Jordan and the how it symbolizes going into the Jordan outside the promised land, dying to yourself, being born again, coming inside again through the waters to new life in that transition that happens in our life. And you may remember, where was Jesus actually baptized? It was John the Baptist, right? In the River Jordan, as that transition takes place. And what did John the Baptist say? He said, I must decrease that he must increase. Or perhaps we could talk about the importance of passing the mantle. Discipling others, investing in the future, making sure that we are um, being the voice of God to a dying nation, to dying people around us. But I want to focus on this one thing, this one application, a question that we should all be asking ourselves, whether the first time or whether the 50th time or whether the 500th time. The question is this. Are you on the Lord's side? Have you counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in a risen, resurrected Savior that's seated at the right hand of the Father? Has the Holy Spirit descended on your life? Have you torn 
your filthy rags of sin and left them behind in repentance and put on the righteous robes of Jesus Christ? Or are you complacent and comfortable? My prayer is that you are committed and that you are on the Lord's side. And then as a church, we can sing, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, thou art mine. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you have given us a way of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, may you um, make us bold in our faith, standing strong, going forth, knowing that you are with us. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.